This Choircast podcast episode is brought to you by Wild Olive, where we host game-changing conversation about literature, culture, and the Bible. I'm Jennifer Bird, a biblical scholar. And I'm Jean Patrol, a literature scholar. If you want to change your Bible reading game, you can try reading the Bible as literature. The way writers such as Emily Dickinson, Octavia Butler, Ursula Le Guin, James Baldwin, or Tony Kushner do. Every other week, we let modern writers give a fresh take on a familiar Bible story. Did you know that Emily Dickinson uses woman by the well imagery to explore lesbian desire? (laughs) That's wild. And doesn't June Jordan use a Gospel of Matthew image to describe the civil rights activist Fannie Lou Hamer? Yes. And Tony Kushner's Angels in America uses apocalypse imagery to describe the fall of the Berlin Wall. That's wild. If you like conversations about the Bible that could go anywhere, tune in to Wild Olive wherever you get your podcasts. It's time for another round of Snarky Faith with your host, Stuart Deloney. This is a space where we irreverently wrestle through life, culture, and spirituality, all with our heads in the clouds, our tongues in our cheeks, our hearts in our sleeves, and our feet on the ground. At Snarky Faith, the questions or even the answers are never the point. It's all about the conversation. So here's your host, Stuart Deloney. Well, welcome to Snarky Faith, the perfect place if you've had enough of the insanity of Christianity. And if you can handle your conversations about faith with copious amounts of sarcasm and also a bit of this, then welcome home. I'm glad you're here. Otherwise, you have been warned. Well, on this show, we've got a lot to cover. Uh, Today, I'm going to be sitting down with author Michael Camp about his new book, Breaking Bad Faith. It's a wonderful discussion and a lot of fun. But before we get to that, we've got to do a little bit. I've got to do a little bit of soul bearing here with you. All right. I'm going to tell you the story about an old man learning new tricks. And that old man is me. <laughs> I am a 45 year old old man. And I had decided to pick up skateboarding because my oldest son, actually a bunch of my kids skateboard, and I wanted to be able to spend time with them. And this is probably like second time out. And I did skate, but it was back in the day, back when things were analog and not digital, back in the day when people are like, what's an internet? Yeah, it's been a hot minute since I've been on a skateboard. So I was out with my son and doing great for a while and then totally wipe out. And I was like, ouch, this doesn't feel too good. I've got black and blue on my hands and a bigger bruise to my pride. But the reason I tell you this, because I can think of this, if I probably tried this 10 years ago, I would have really been hard on myself and I would have been embarrassed, and I would have had my pride wounded. But actually, the more I've journeyed into this is that, honestly, we can all change. We can all learn new tricks. We can all start on the pathway to embracing new things. And some of the things I've learned along the way, because I've gotten back on the skateboard and continued to go around with them, Biggest thing that I've learned in my life, especially when you were trying new things, is to be kind to yourself. 
Another thing I've learned is that we have to keep evolving. We have to keep doing what's right. We've got to keep moving in a positive direction. So I don't know where you're at today. I don't know what you're going through or what kind of challenges are in front of you. And I'm not necessarily saying the skateboard story of an old dude wiping out is the same as where you're at. But I will tell you is that things get better. That keep trying things. Keep stepping out of your comfort zone. Keep looking to do new things. Because us doing the same thing over and over again is pretty much what's gotten the world in this effed up spot that we find ourselves in. So, like me, learn to dust off your pride and keep trying to do what's right. Keep doing that next thing. Find what inspires you. See where God is moving in your space. And get out there and do it. You may get a little bruised. Guess what? That is the path to growth. And that is what we are all about here on the show, about being able to move into new space, to be able to challenge where we're at, and to be able to walk into new places, which, again, we're going to get a lot of that in my conversation with Michael Camp and his new book, Breaking Bad Faith. But if you're a listener of the show, if you're a regular on the show, you know this. You know this. So we've got to walk through that valley of the shadow of death. We've got to make it through the insanity on Christianity before we get to that meaningful stuff, before we get to our snarky faith bread and butter, exactly where we like to be. Because so much of what we talk about in the show week after week is, is being able to challenge ourselves to really be able to step into that freedom that Christ gives us, that freedom to love others, that freedom to step out, that freedom to help people that are in the margins and do what is right, that freedom to be able to see, hey, hey, who's being oppressed? That's wrong. That freedom to step into that space to be able to help people, right? Right? Isn't that like, that's a core tenet of, of Christianity. I'm, I'm pretty sure it is. I'm pretty sure it is. And, and I have a great, a great mouthpiece, a great mouthpiece of what Christianity is really about. And I think that's something that's here to whet in our appetites. Before we get to the officiality of the insanity that we like to delve into. So just to kind of prepare us for the Christian crazy, here's something that almost sounds like Christianity, but, you know, two, two, two notes here before we hop in it. One, who's talking? Number two, mm, they almost get it right, but then they go so, so wrong. And a name I'm going to give you is the GOP's Saint Abobert. As she shares the deep wells of knowledge of Christian theology. Mm, it's good stuff. Totally good stuff. What? You think I would steer you wrong on a show called Snarky Faith? No way, no way, no way, brothers and sisters. No way. Well, maybe. Yes, maybe. But, you know, my my number one job is uh, to secure the rights of Americans and and make sure that they remain free. That is exactly why I'm here. I love freedom, not because I'm a Republican, not because I'm a conservative. I love freedom because Jesus set me free, because I am a Christian. And so I truly know what it means to be free. And that's something that I'm here to preserve uh, for generations to come. So this kind of makes my brain explode. 
Because, like, everything she's saying kind of sounds like it could check out, but like most things within Christianity, when people say things like freedom, it doesn't mean freedom, or love, it usually doesn't mean love. Ever Anyone ever heard that? Like, oh, I'm just sharing the truth in love. No, 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 let's, let's kind of... Let's let's do a little bit of the mental math here with Bobert. So let me get this straight. Uh, she said something about her job is securing rights for all Americans so people can remain free and that we are free because of Jesus. Yeah, yeah, I get that. But why is it that everything that she and her ilk are about is taking away people's freedoms, right? Like the right to choose decisions about your own body, like the right to exist and love who you want to love, the the right to continue just to exist as as a human in America or or actually wait, not just humans because, you know, the rights in America are really, really being taken away from, not from a dude that's white, like me, no, from women, from the LGBTQ community, from, from trans kids, from all of this. It just goes on and on, and, and just the math doesn't add up. It's insanity, it is crazy, and I feel like I've finally built up my own froth in my mouth, and I'm assuming you have too, so... Let's go ahead and hop into the choicest cuts of Christian Nuts. That's right. It's time again for the Christian Crazy of the Week. Because it's only going to get crazier here out, folks. Right? Oh, it is. I guarantee it. If loving the Lord is wrong, I don't want to be right. Lord have mercy. The Lord is my shepherd. He know what I want to All right, first out on the Christian Crazy, what we're going to do here is we're going to kind of take you through a bunch of buzzwords that are really itching in the crawl here of conservatives and evangelicals. This is kind of the, hey, what's wrong with the world? What's pissing them off? Well, well, if you haven't already realized this, conservatism and evangelical Christianity is very, very, very upset about a child's toy. Listen here. And I bet some of you already know what we're getting at here. So let's go ahead. Ken Christmas, miniature pastor, tell us. What is the scourge that is taking us down in America right now? What could it be? What toy could be destroying us? I curse in the name of the Lord this new Barbie movie that has been released full of transsexual and transgender and homosexuality in the name of the Lord. Make God lose a, judge, God lose a holy judgment. Hallelujah. Go ahead and write in all that you want. What's happened is the church has been so intimidated and so silent that we're afraid to stand up and declare, thus saith the Lord. So the church is having an issue with 
being able to stand up and declare, just saith the Lord in regards to the Barbie movie. I don't understand. Really, what what's up with Kent Christmas? Eh, eh, eh. There's a lot, and there's probably an entire show that I could do simply about what is wrong with Kent Christmas. But yes, Barbie is causing quite trouble. Christians can't even handle it. Oh my goodness. I know it's a lot to handle. I know. I know. Barbie is taking down Western civilization, but since we're running through the Christian crazy with buzzwords, let's go ahead and hit another one. You know, critical race theory. Now, I understand its role in politics, but have you ever asked yourself, critical race theory? How is this ruining Christians? How is this stealing God's power and God's wonder and God's amazing from us? How is this happening? Oh, don't you worry. Pastor Lucas Miles is going to tell us exactly how CRT is ruining God's glorious plan for suffering for all of us. When you look at critical race theory, one of the things it does, I think from a Christian standpoint that we have to really understand, is it robs the believer of the opportunity to suffer for Christ. If you are promoting critical race theory, what you're saying is that, the, is that all suffering or all injustice in society, all persecution in society is as a result of skin color, uh, socioeconomic status, country of origin, you know, uh, uh, amount of you know, melanin in your skin or something like that. That, that what this does is it robs from the believer, especially the believer that is a person of color, if we're going to use these kind of arbitrary definitions, which I don't really think I have a whole lot of meaning anyways, uh, from a faith standpoint. But if we're going to take on this, this nomenclature, I, I think that it's very important to recognize that this robs God of something that uh, that we're called to give him, and that is obedience in the face of suffering and persecution when we suffer for his namesake. Exactly, because, you know, what's a loving God going to do when a loving God can only show his love through suffering? Because, you know, <laughs> suffering is what we're called to do for God, because apparently God just wants us suffering. Yeah, because critical race theory tries to allow humans to clean up their own BS and stop treating other humans like they are less than. And, you know, it's not part of God's plan. It's not part of God's plan because, you know, God, God uses racism and misogyny and bigotry to do, you know, the beautifulness of God's work. Yeah. This is, again, one of those situations where everything works out for God's perfect plan, and you realize that's all just bullshit. And speaking of bullshit, I can't leave the Christian crazy without the king of bullshit, Hank Kuhneman. And Hank, Hank's still hung up. Hmm, Hank's still kind of stuck in 2020. He's upset that people are still upset that the prophets got it wrong. So Hank's going to tell us why we're wrong. We're subject today to a lot more different things when a prophetic word comes forth about a candidate, about someone that God is choosing. It's, it's subject to a lot of things. People who say, for example, that the 2020 election, you know, they say, well, anybody who prophesied that Trump won, whether it be a prophet, an intercessor, a Christian, or just a guy on the street, you know, um, 
if you said that, you're wrong. Well, wait a minute. If you believe that the media has been telling us the truth all of this time, and you believe that a guy that was hiding out in his basement can't gather a crowd, he wasn't even around the crowds, could gather more than 80 million votes, well, you might want to re-examine your theology. Now, sadly here, I really think that Hank Kuhneman has no idea what the word theology means when he's asking us to go and examine it, which it's kind of like the same thing of like, hey, go examine your eyes because, you know, what you're seeing is not what you're seeing because I'm a prophet. Yeah. Essentially put, they got it wrong. Why do they get it wrong? Because they're not prophets. They're just grifters, right? These are just sleazy salesmen in front of a pulpit doing what they do to make money. And people keep giving them money. And that is your Christian crazy of the week. But do not worry. We're not leaving. We're not leaving here because we've got more. We've got Christian cringe double edition this week. Christian cringe. No, God, please, no, no. Oh, our offerings this week of the Christian cringe. They're so beautiful. It's kind of like your children's. Like, how do you pick your favorite? How do you do it? I couldn't pick a favorite between these two. So first up, we've got Pastor Joshua Mills telling us a story about how God works in mysterious ways, not, not to feed the hungry, not to help those in suffering, but to help a dude find out his lost piece of jewelry was right there in front of him, just as long as it used a Jesus portal. Yeah. Here you go. I had lost my pinky ring. I'm sorry, what did you say? Pinky ring? Oh, just please start over again. I had lost my pinky ring in the ministry traveling, and we ended up down in New Zealand. The Lord gave me a picture, and in that picture, I saw the house. I went into the house. I saw the hallway. I walked down the hallway in my mind. I walked into the bedroom, and I literally reached out because I saw my pinky ring sitting right there on that dresser drawer. And as soon as I grabbed it by faith, I literally physically felt something in my hand. I opened up my eyes, and the pinky ring was right there. You talk about reaching into portals. Well, God wants to open up those heavenly portals for you. An open heaven demands an open earth. Heaven is wide open, but we've got to choose to be in agreement with the open heavens. Oh, the Lord works in mysterious ways. I've heard about suffering for the gospel, but you know, God doesn't want you to suffer too much. I mean, not like CRT suffering is what he wants, but God doesn't want pinky ring suffering because that would be the worst. The worst! Jesus, where's my pinky ring? What is this, the gemstones? Jesus. Now, lastly, in the Christian crazy, we have, we have Christian apologist John McDowell talking about what's heaven going to be like. Because I know most of you are like, you know, if there's a heaven and a hell, I, I kind of prefer heaven to hell, except, you know, what's on the menu in heaven? I don't know if they're going to have anything I want to eat. Don't worry. Don't worry. Sean, do you think we'll be able to eat steak in heaven? Oh, I love this question. And there's a certain tension here because number one, we love, at least I do, a medium rare filet mignon. But steak comes from the death of animals. So will there be animals killed in heaven? Now, theologians might differ over that, so I don't think we have to land that. 
But if there's not stake in heaven from the death of animals, I think God will have some stake substitute, like people are trying to create with technology today, that not only is as good, but even better. So the bottom line is, Gabe, no one's gonna get to heaven and feel like, oh, I missed out, what the heck, I can't have some joy that I had on earth. It's not gonna happen. Heaven is gonna blow away our wildest expectations. Oh, it's gonna blow away our wildest expectations. <laughs> You've got Beyond Burgers on Earth, but what about heavenly hogs? But they're not dead. These are, what is this? What is, like, this is what has always blown my mind in honestly, I mean, okay, 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 sorry. Let me calm down here. I, I've never seen the fucking point for Christian apologists, like, ever. Like, ever. And this is a prime example. Oh, a prime rib example of that one. Or maybe it's a filet mignon. I liked how he pronounced it. A filet mignon example of it. Oh, mwah, mwah. Yeah, yeah. I'm so glad he's answering questions like this because none of this is biblical. This is all stupid, stupid, like, apparently beef wet dreams for Christians that are so worried they're going to go to heaven. But what about my meat? The bigger question is not if heaven's going to take away your meat. You see, the real question people should be asking is, and heaven, do I get to keep my guns? Yeah, because that's going to matter more to the evangelical base. So you've been through your Christian crazy or Christian cringe, and now. It's time to talk about breaking bad faith. Here we go. Well, joining me today is Michael Camp. Michael spent 25 years in the evangelical movement as an ordained missionary to Muslims, development worker in Africa, and lay leader in independent, charismatic, and Baptist churches. Today, he's an author, podcaster, and pub theology nerd seeking to help people find a more authentic spiritual path along Jesus's subversive ways of peace. His previous books, Confessions of a Bible Thumper and Crack Brew Jesus, chronicle his deconstruction and subsequent reconstruction somewhat. And he's coming at us today from Bainbridge Island, Washington, to talk about his new book, Breaking Bad, Expose exposing myth and violence in popular theology to recover the path of peace. So welcome, Michael. I'm so glad to have you here today. Stuart, it's great to be with you. Uh, it's a pleasure. Well, I, I want to start by saying I really enjoyed the book. This is kind of a, what I would put like a theological breath of fresh air. But then at the same time, it really feels like a kind of a fearless critique of the ways that faith is misused today. Right. Um, and, and in that, which we'll get to as we unpack this, um, I also like the critique part, which I'm very good at. We do a lot of that on the show. But you also uh, spend a portion of the book really trying to dig into what are better ways forward, which I think is huge and important. So to kick us off, Michael, give us a little bit of your background and your journey, what brought you to this place, especially for those that may not be familiar uh, with your podcast or your writing. Sure, yeah. Um... Well, I, like you said in the intro, I, I, I was in the evangelical movement for 25 years. I, I lived in Africa for seven years as a missionary. Uh, I, I basically um, 
ran down the swimming pool of evangelicalism and dove in the uh, climb the highest di diving board and dove in. <laughs> you know, you know that you know that <laughs> uh, 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 common you know, like refrain. Oh yeah, I'm gonna I'm gonna commit my life to Jesus and I'm willing to go to Africa. Well, I did that. So, <laughs> but um, uh, so at some at some point, you know, right around 20 years ago, uh, probably even longer than that. Uh, um, I started deconstructing and it was a slow process. I started to realize that there's so many things, uh, red flags, I call them now, that were just like, wait a minute. And it probably started with the doctrine of hell when I was on the mission field. That one is a big deal when you're starting to actually, instead of sitting in your ivory tower, you're actually working with unreached people groups, you know, Muslims, and your theology is telling them they're going to, they're going to hell if they don't accept Christ. And then you meet them and fall in love with them and their families and so forth and go, wait a minute, this does not, this does not, uh, compute. And so, um, anyways, through, um, various, uh, experiences, uh, having a faith crisis, uh, uh, going into depression and anxiety for a while after I came back from the mission field, I deconstructed my faith and, um, uh, slowly started to peel away some of these, what I discovered were toxic doctrines and beliefs and uh, started to study history. And I love the study of history. So you're going to find a lot of that in my book, uh, Breaking Bad Faith. And um, history is really the key to a lot of these, these dilemmas that we come up with uh, when we're questioning and doubting uh, evangelicalism or fundamentalism or whatever it is. So um, that, that kind of culminated in me writing my first book, Confessions, which was really kind of my deconstruction. And then Craft Brew Jesus was really my reconstruction. And then this book, uh, you know, I've really had, I, I, there's some, some things, really interesting things that I noticed that I had when I deconstructed that I had to write about. And that's what we're going to talk about today and how mm -hmm. so many of these issues that we uh, uncover as unhistorical or just ugly or whatever, um, they're tied to retribution and violence. And so that's really what the book goes into. Mm. Now, when we're talking about this, this idea of bad faith, and we'll get to examples of it, but what do you mean by bad faith? Well, bad faith is, is anything that's harmful. <laughs> you know, there's, there are certain, it could be a doctrine or a belief, you know, if you if you believe in the original sin and the original depravity, at some point you're going to realize, hey, that's kind of that's harmful. I mean, that's like I, I'm putting myself down. I'm, I'm, you know, you're no one without God, and you're looking down on other people because they're not, you know, born again or not, they're not saved or whatever. And you just discover it's harmful. It's harmful to yourself, harmful to others. So that's really kind of a, in a in a nutshell what bad faith is. It's also uh, could be unhistorical. It's like it's not based on a good study of history. So if it's not if it's not really historical, then you're you're, you're saying that something that's not really true, that's not based on good, uh, a good um, evaluation of, of what history tells us. Uh, and then, you know, it's just anything that um, uh, doesn't line up really with, in my view, um, the path of uh, or the teachings of Jesus. That you know, um, I, I I still hold to the teachings of Jesus, but I I kind of do it outside of Christianity because Christianity has just been so warped, uh, and we can talk about that too later. But I mean, mm -hmm. it's just th those are kind of the elements of bad faith. 
So, so when you're talking about this, because this is what we do, I love it on the show. We like we have an ongoing section called the Christian Crazy, where we pull out stuff that's happening within Christianity and really skewer through that thing. So, I, I wanted to pick your brain a little bit, especially when you, uh, with the whole breadth of what you've written about here. Um, what do you think? What makes American Christians like so susceptible to like conspiracies and lies oh, and, yeah. and myths? Yeah, what? That's a good question. What makes them special? Well, I think part of it is that we're it, there's it they're set up we're set up to believe those things because of the way that uh, American Christianity is uh, described. It's it's like hey you know we're um, we're the only ones that are saved. <laughs> uh, anyone who's not saved can't really be trusted because they're a depraved person and they haven't accepted Christ yet. <laughs> they're not regenerated. Um, you know, we're, uh, we're, we're the, um, the ones that have the truth. I remember distinctly at one point in my, my experience thinking to myself, we found the truth. This is it. We've got everything. And then, and then, you know, you're looking back on it and you go, you know, how arrogant is that? I mean, <laughs> you really found everything and it's just, but, but that's the way people think we found the truth. This is it. It's very black and white. And so you're kind of set up to believe that, um, you know anything that that um, that reinforces the narratives that you believe in, right? Like I don't know, whatever liberals and Democrats and uh, anyone outside the church can't be trusted, and they're you know they're of the enemy or whatever because they're not saved yet. Then any narrative that reinforces that, you tend to believe it. So that's one of the reasons why conspiracy theories are so appealing. It's like oh, well, there's it's it's the narrative, right? So, you know, I, you might tend to believe that even before you even investigate it, right? It's just like, oh, yeah, that fits the narrative. That must be true. And it's being said by someone who sounds confident. And it sounds like, and, I'm, and, and also people are kind of lazy to do their own research. So they just accept what they hear. <laughs> so those are the kinds of things that I think get us, get us in trouble. It is. I, I mean, thinking back to when I was in those places as well, too. I, I mean, I think that there, there, it, there is like a bit of an, something that's like intoxicating. Yeah. With being right. able to say like, I, I possess the truth. I have it, and you don't. Right. Um, right. It yeah. is. It's, it's kind of like a power. It comes with that. It's like, oh yeah. Mm -hmm. You know, you, 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 you poor person. You're naive. I, I know what's going on. You know. <laughs> and, it, and it's almost kind of like Gnosticism. And if you studied Gnosticism. It's secret knowledge, you know, and then mm -hmm. and then you reveal it and 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 then the inner circle knows the secret knowledge and tries to sh tell it to others, but they don't listen. So they go, well, you know, they're just, you know, naive or rebellious or whatever, you know. <laughs> it, 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 it is it is an odd place to find yourself in, especially but but like what you're mentioning, this whole uh, this whole, I guess, routine of being able to believe certain truths being able to shun certain other truths. I mean, that, that traffics really, really well in, in churches. Right. And, and it preaches well to, for people to come back week after week with this, uh, with that kind of a message. Now, in your book, you cover, you go through 12 major uh, faith frauds and myths um, that like in the Bible, religion, and the church. And so I, I wanted to give the, the listeners a bit of a taste. Right. Um, so I, I was going to just open one of these up to you and kind of let you sure. kind of... Uh, Un, yeah, go through this as well too. So one, you go through the myth of a two-faced God. Oh yeah, kind of like the idea of like wrath versus like mercy. Right. So unpack that a bit. Yeah, that's a good one. Um, you know, actually, almost 
all of these these myths that I cite, they're 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 tied to either um, the way you view the Bible or the way you view history. So this two faced God is tied to the way people view the Bible. And if you if you insist that the Bible is infallible and errant, you've got to accept everything in it as as accurate. And if there's a narrative about what God is like, it's true. Well, then what you're you're left with um, is a two faced God, because you, you can find plenty of narratives where there's a violent not not um, God. And in the Old Testament, particularly, and sometimes even in the New Testament, but overwhelmingly in the old testament um but like you know for example just the um the narratives about god drowning the planet or you know god uh telling the israelites to, to uh conquer canaan canaanite cities and has expressly saying have no mercy because that's mm -hmm. my will <laughs> and destroy everyone including women, children, infants, and the unborn, you know, so you've got all these narratives and you have to accept them supposedly because of the way that people are taught the Bible. And then you've got the Jesus narratives uh, and some of the prophets as well uh, who come out with, you know, counter visions or counter uh, narratives to these things more about love and uh, mercy and um, love your enemies and so forth. And so you've got this, cognitive dissonance going on and for evangelicals they're taught no you you have to accept everything you can't you know you can't reject anything so then they end up coming out with a two-faced god now they may not admit that they might say no 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 that's not true but really it is because one day god is violent and the next day or era god isn't and and then in the end god's violent again because people go to hell and there's final judgment and if you don't measure up or if you don't accept Christ or if you whatever the condition is, however you explain it, you know, you're punished. And uh, the ultimate punishment and retribution is, um, you know, burning and eternal conscious torment. So, <laughs> you know, so that's that's really the two faced God. And it comes from how people read the Bible. And I think part of the things that uh, in my book is I help people to to uh, get free from that, that, you know, like really kind of lay out why that doesn't make any sense, why it's actually not biblical, because biblicalism is a loaded term. I mean, what do you mean by biblical? <laughs> you can find things that are biblical for all kinds of things and contradictory things. So you have to you have to uh, learn how to differentiate between what I call the retributive God and the restorative God. And and then once you learn how to do that, it's actually not rocket science. I mean, it's mm. like you can pick out the good, the bad and the ugly pretty easily. Mm. I love that. I love that. You're right about that. You are absolutely right about that. Now, what I want, I'll, I'll play like a little game in your head, too, with this. So thinking about this, so because I feel like these views, especially the, the ones that you're expressing here, they they probably not. They probably they do. They they affect I, how we view ourselves. Right. And they affect how we view others and culture around us. And can you tease that out a bit? Like, for those, what does it look like for someone to embrace a two-faced, <laughs> wrathful God and how they view themselves? You see what I'm saying? Like, how, how, does, how does that play out in people's lives? Well, it's kind of like what I was saying before. It, you know, it's harmful to think of God that way because God is, seems to be always angry and 
you know, well, with Jesus, he's not angry anymore. But on the other hand, without Jesus, he's angry. And <laughs> so he's at fundamentally an angry God who has to be appeased by the, you know, torture and murder of an innocent victim in the first century, Jesus. And then now he's he can consider forgiving you if you accept, you know, the atonement narrative or whatever. So, I mean, that kind of like, play, you know, it doesn't really directly. It's a kind of a, a, a subtle thing because it because mm -hmm. it indirectly you start thinking about yourself differently. Um, you know, without Christ, I'm just a, you know, a piece of shit and a worm and, <laughs> and terrible. Absolutely. Don't I love God now that he's saved me. Right. And so that kind of help, it can play on your self-esteem. You don't trust yourself. Don't trust yourself to make decisions sometimes because, you know, are you really hearing God's voice? Cause you, you couldn't think of it yourself because you're terrible without Christ and so forth. So it, it affects you that way. And I think it affects you the way you look at the world, especially, um, you know, everything is kind of uh, put in uh, through that lens and um, you're, you're looking at uh, us versus them, you know, mm -hmm. you know, we, you know, we have the truth and they don't. And, and that's the way you look at the world. And I think it also can impact how you, you act in society and, and, very different ways, um, you know, from just, you know, how, how do you vote? How do you decide what's the best way to handle wrongdoing and crime in our society? Mm -hmm. How do you decide what's the best in the gun issues? How do you decide, you know, cap, if we should have capital punishment? How do you decide all kinds of things about how to handle, um, uh, you know, wrongdoing and evil in our society. Well, and I, and I think it speaks, yeah, I, I feel like that if we are ones that, in, in, in that modality, if, if we're ones that are part of this kind of angry, vengeful God, it oftentimes, yeah, lends us to like act accordingly as we view whatever's sinful or bad that's outside the ring of good um, in the world. And it, and yeah, I, I think you're right about that. And yeah, I mean, to you perpetuate know, violence most people so don't wake ways. up in the morning and go, oh, I believe in a retribute of God. I'm going to go out and shoot someone. <laughs> right. No, but I mean, you have subtle ways that it influences people so that at least for some people, if they drive, if someone drives up the wrong driveway, they shoot them. Or if they come to the wrong mm -hmm. door, they shoot them. Or they have, we pass stand your ground gun laws that basically pretty much give a license for people to shoot if they just claim that they feel threatened, you know? Mm -hmm. So it kind of, you know, there's kind of subtle ways that it seeps in there and, and then into ways that, well, you may not be a violent person. You may not even own a gun, but you go out and you worship a God who, um, you know, and applaud a God who was violent and committed genocide. And you still think that's true. <laughs> mm -hmm. So, um, yeah. And, and, and I think, you know, we got, I think part of the reason why we have, um, I don't know, we elected Donald Trump as president and at least a majority of our country did for the first time. And, um, you know, he, now he's coming out and saying, I am your retribution. And he's just like the, the epitome of this thing. And people are willing to buy into it probably because, well, you know, we have a retribute of God. So there's a part in the Bible that's okay with that, you know? <laughs> mm -hmm.
No, it, does, it, it gives them license to be exactly. able to say things that are hateful right. and bad. Right. Oh, I'm not going to hurt him personally, or I'm, yeah. I'm showing him the love of God. Right. Except for it, it's, wait, that, it's never love. <laughs> to those that are receiving it, it sure, certainly does not feel like love right. at all. Um, now, the other, second one I wanted you to go through in, in your major frauds and, and myths from, from scripture and Bible and religion. I want to talk about this, and you touched on this earlier, but um, I want to dive in on the myth of hell mm -hmm. and, and how that doctrine, in your mind, perpetuates violence. Right. Well, um, the myth of hell is... As you as you probably know, and some of your listeners may know, is I mean, I mean the underlying issue is that Jesus didn't teach hell. That the, the scriptures actually have words that are mistranslated in the New Testament, et cetera. We won't get into that right now. But your question to address your question is like, um, you know, people um, uh, have bought into this idea that you know, every, everything in the Bible is the word of God. And even though there's mistranslations and misinterpretations about this doctrine of hell, they sincerely believe it's true. So uh, they are going to perhaps um, have, have fear because of that doctrine of hell. They're going to, you know, um, fear for themselves sometimes if they, if they fall away or whatever, if they don't, you know, stay on the path. Uh, they're going to fear for their family or the loved ones because, you know, they might go to hell. Um, you know, they're going to have these apprehensions about life because of this looming doctrine of hell that hangs over their head. And, you know, and like I, I was saying before, um, and you mentioned, you know, it's kind of like it's like, well, if that's the way God is like, then then you can accept other things that, mm -hmm. you know, like, you know, I don't know, a tough on crime or you know, mm -hmm. the death penalty or, uh, you know, just hating people because, well, the heck, well, you know, they're going to go to hell anyways. Right. You know, so there, there's, there's hell to pay, you know, there's, you know, a retaliatory approach to, to life. And, uh, and, and by the way, this, th we're talking about conservative Christianity, but this, this retribution thing can seep into any religion, mm -hmm. progressive Christian or liberal or whatever, because it is kind of human nature to want to get back at someone and retaliate, you know? So I think hell just kind of gives license again to that kind of thinking. Now, I know a lot of, of, of what you talk through is, is your personal journey in this and, and how you've discovered things along the way the research you've done, the reading you've done and things along those lines. Um, I, I want you to speak a little bit to like the posture I think that you've learned um, over the years, meaning that when we talk about things, it could be concrete things like dogma or it could be inerrancy in the Bible um, for people that are processing different issues. But ha have you changed in how tightly you hold to things and how loosely you hold to things? Yeah, I think um, w one of the things that I've learned is that um, the foundation in my mind should be a good study of history. And and history is not a perfect science. So um, there, it kind of works in the realm of probabilities. So, but when you study history, you realize, hey, you know what? Um, we can't be absolutely certain about this one, but we, we can say that this is most likely true. And then mm -hmm. you could say something is probably true. And you can say something is most likely false and most likely, and maybe probably false 
Or you could say some, something is absolutely false because there's no evidence for it. So I think that when you say, you know, you, yeah, I don't hold things as tightly, but I, I kind of, I, I kind of ground myself in a good study of history rather mm -hmm. than just saying, oh, okay, I, I believe the Bible and everything it says and where I believe what the church or evangelicals teach about this. So um, things can constantly change as we have new evidence. So you have to have an understanding that, you know, um, uh, life is still a mystery. And yeah, we can't hold on to things that that uh, tightly. But I think there are a couple of things you can hold on to. And I think one of them is that love is a good thing. And, and you know, that's, you know, you find something like that that what, what I what I call what matters most. And and that's the kind of thing you can hold on to. But all these other things, you really can't. But you but you can know that love, um, when you make that your um, overriding objective or rule or guide in life, that can really clear up a lot of things about what's right and wrong. Mm -hmm. And and I think it yeah I think it clears up a lot of things of what matters most. Yeah. <laughs> you know do, does 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 my version of right and wrong matter in this situation if I'm basically going to steamroll all over another human yeah. because of it? You know, right. uh, yeah, we begin to be able to, to learn how to hold those things differently. Good. I like that. Now, now in, in, in this, I guess the latter half of your book, you go through different ways um, of, for peace, nonviolence, compassion, uh, forgiveness. So in your experience, uh, um, What does it look like for someone that lives a restorative life? What does it look like that compared to someone that's in more of that retributive life? Right, right. Well, I think the place to start is um, when you when you give yourself the permission to look at uh, theology differently, the Bible differently, and you kind of say, okay, what what in my what in myself. Um, does feels right or seems right or is the most logical or seems to line up with history the best. And you, what you, what you, what happens is you, you end up realizing that the restorative narratives jump out at you. Right. Mm -hmm. They're like, well, this is so obvious that this is better than the retributive narratives. Right. So that's the first thing is like you, you, um, you just, it, it's just like you got a better foundation. Instead of always getting oh, a two-faced God, we never know. But you know, God is love, but He's also a God of wrath and judgment. So we've <laughs> we we want to walk. It's like you're walking on eggshells, right? <laughs> so, uh, but once you get over that, then then you're uh, really, you know, can focus on the restorative narratives. Now, I forgot the exact qu question exactly. What was the original? No, question? no, I, I I love it. I, we were just talking about yeah, what does it look like? You know, living out. Yeah, what does um, it look like living it out? So once you yeah, catch yeah, that yeah. vision, you're like. Oh, okay. Um, uh, how do I live my life differently? How do I approach, um, you know, people? And I think one of the things that you learn is that we're all we're actually as a as a as a species, human beings, we're all on the same team. Mm -hmm. <laughs> we shouldn't be, you know, dividing up the world us versus them. We're going to have disagreements. We want to try to disagree agreeably um, and not. Uh, you know, and still show people dignity, realize that there are lost people and there are evil people. But usually there's a reason that that they're like that. They just didn't wake up one day and go, you know, I think I'll go out and become a serial killer. That sounds good. You know, or I, I, I think I'll go out and sexually abuse people. 
oftentimes they were abused themselves or they had, you know, some issues and not to excuse that, but I'm just saying that you begin to look at life a little differently and realize, okay, if we're all on the same team, if we're all trying to, you know, figure out things together, let's love one another and, and, and look for ways to treat people with dignity. And I give some really cool examples of what I call restorative justice in the book about just regular people doing things to, to reach out to what, what you might, might call lost people mm-hmm. and, and something beautiful happens and there's, and it, there's a restoration of, of relationships. So um, I don't know if we want to go there yet, but that's kind of like, I, I love giving examples of that. Cause that really, yeah, give me, yeah, give me, yeah, let's go there. What are you talking about? You know? Yeah. All right. Well, there's, up on it. There's uh there's four examples that I really like to give, but I'll start with the 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 people ones. Um mm. uh one of them, I don't know if you've heard of Daryl Davis. Have you ever heard of Daryl Davis? Uh, outside of your book, no. No, okay, good. Yeah, he should be known more. So hopefully my book will bring him out, but because he did something remarkable. He um started befriending Ku Klux Klansmen a number of years ago. Um, and he was basically, uh, he was first of all shocked that they, as he says that they, um, they hate me even though they don't know me. And so he was, he was basically asking them that question. Why do you hate me when you don't even know me? Okay. Mm -hmm. And then he would, he, he got to know them. He got to know, uh, their history as an organization and, and um, he basically found out, you know, like they really sincerely believe that blacks are inferior, have smaller brains or whatever, you know, crazy stuff. And um, so he went on, make a long story short, he, he went on and uh, built relationships with many of these Ku Klux Klansmen and challenged them, right, mm-hmm. to certain things, uh, to challenge their worldview. And in the end, because he treated them with dignity and he challenged them both, you need to have both. Uh, they eventually gave up their robes. They get, literally gave him their Ku Klux Klan mm-hmm. robes and left the organization, just left mm-hmm. and became, uh, you know, uh, a decent human being who understands that whites and blacks are, are equal. And, you know, mm-hmm. we should have an egalitarian society, you know? So, I mean, it's remarkable because, you know, like if you, if you approached it the retributive way, mm-hmm. right, you might think, Oh, you know, these people uh, let's, let's expose them. Let's put them in jail, criminalize what they're doing, whatever. You might come up with some retributive ways of handling it, but you probably wouldn't get anywhere with changing that person's mind or heart. Right. But mm-hmm. what Daryl Davis is doing is, is changing hearts. No, and I, I think that I think that it's, it's a beautiful thing. And that's why I, I love you giving these types of examples, because it helps people to see uh, a lot of times when we talk about fixing culture or going and trying to help uh, things that are going on, especially when there is inequality or people that are being pushed to the margins. Sometimes I think that can be very overwhelming for folks. Um, to be able to handle this. But your examples, I think, uh, yeah, they just show it's simply one person. <laughs> it right. starts with one person. Right, it does. Reaching right. out and, to another right. person. Yeah. I mean, and the other one, the, one of my other favorites 
Now, but there's a documentary about D Daryl Davis. I forgot what it's called. Uh, I think accidental courtesy or something. But there's also another one that has a documentary, and it's called Stranger at, at the Gate. It's only 30 minutes long. It's crazy. It's amazing. Uh, they packed it into 30 minutes. But it's about this Iraq war veteran comes home from the war. He's bitter against uh, Muslims. He hates Muslims. And he's so disturbed and has PTSD that he um, wants to plant a bomb in the mosque of his hometown because when he left, there was no mosque. When he came back, there was, and he was pissed off. Mm. <laughs> and so he went into this mosque to scout it out. And the leaders of the mosque, a couple, um, I think their names are Bibi and Muhammad Barani. Um, they, you know, they and some other people, members of the mosque, they looked at him and thought, man, there's something wrong with this guy. You know, you could see it on his face. But they just, you know, showed him hospitality, friendly, you know, answered his questions, invited him over to dinner, stuff like that. And again, to make a long story short, and I go into more detail in the book, but, um, you know, they they basically uh, won him over. Not only did they win him over, he actually joined the mosque and became a leader one day. <laughs> mm -hmm. So um, it's just remarkable. I mean, that what that restorative of love can do. In, in those kinds of situations. And by the way, uh, th those two examples, you know, these are outside of Christianity, okay? Mm -hmm. To my knowledge, Daryl Davis, I don't know if he's a Christian or not, but he never talks about Christianity or Christ in his speaking. And of course, this other one, they were Muslims. So I guess the point I'm making is that this kind of thing can happen outside of Christianity. It doesn't have to be in Christianity because mm -hmm. if there's a restorative God, he's everywhere. Mm -hmm. Amen. Amen. That'll preach. I like that. Um, now, when we, oftentimes, uh, I will get very disheartened, especially with, with politics and where how conservative evangelicals are doubling down right now on culture wars, and it and it, it's very easy to just get frustrated, and and what what are better ways to be able to handle these things? Like what, what are ways for us to deal with certain like, uh, like, yeah, like a rhetorical violence when people speak this, people post it. What are better ways for us to engage in these things? Yeah, that's a great question. I, and I don't think there's an easy answer except that mm. we don't, you know, we don't want to um, reciprocate in a, in a like way, or, you know, to, you know, if someone's being offensive and um, we, we don't want to be the same way, we want to approach every interaction and engagement with treating the person with respect and dignity as a human being, even though we disagree with them and to disagree agreeably. And I've heard people say that. I mean, they, they, they you know, it's kind of funny because, you know, um, like behind the scenes, um, I might be pulling my hair out and really <laughs> pissed off and everything, but I'm trying to engage with this person and, and I'll, and someone online or something will watch the comments or back and forth and go, boy, you really handled that well, you know? Mm -hmm. And it's like, well, yeah, you, but you didn't see me, you know, in the back bedroom when I was really pissed off pulling my hair out. So it takes a lot of patience to you know, be able to do that. And the more we can kind of like vent that other energy in another direction, 
but towards these people we're trying to engage with. And, it, and, and, you know, just because you hear stories about Daryl Davis or uh, BB and Muhammad Bahrani doesn't mean that's going to happen every single time too. So like Daryl Davis says, some of these people I met, they're beyond change. That's, you know, they're never going to change. And that you just have to accept that and just say, well, okay, you know, some people are probably not going to change and uh, you just do your best you can and draw boundaries when they're kind of stepping on your toes, you know, I, I don't know if that helps, but that's the, no, no, it's, I, I think any, anything moving forward from going from a bad faith to a good faith, I think yeah. it's, it's going to require something of us. Right. Um, and it's going to require selflessness on our behalf. And maybe that selflessness is keeping quiet uh, when we don't want to be, you know, yeah. or when, when we're confronted with these situations, right. like you said, right. so you, lost some steam, think it through, yeah. <laughs> realize there's a human at the other end of that. Right. Sometimes, I mean, it really depends. I mean, you have to discern because sometimes you really need to say something and other times you just, you know, like you said, it's like, well, well, I'm not going to pick this battle, but you know, mm-hmm. hopefully we'll win the war. Not maybe not every battle. So now, now when, when, who do you envision because I think this book can be for, for, for a lot of people. But in your mind, when you're writing this book, who do you think, who are you thinking? Oh, uh, oh yeah. Um, as, 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 well, as, I yeah, think as first and foremost are those who are in the midst of deconstructing fundamentalism, evangelicalism, whatever, cr- conservative Christianity, Mormonism, JWs, whatever, you know, they're, they're, they're deconstructing and they're trying to figure it out. And so this book's really going to help them you know, like go the, go the, the, the distance and break the bad faith <laughs> and um, come up with something more beautiful. And, and so I think that's, that's main, the main audience is uh, people who are in the midst of deconstruction and also people who just, you know, I, I've met so many people that they're like, I don't know where to go to rebuild, you know, what am I going to rebuild? And a lot of people, they say, Hey, I, I still want to hold on to Jesus or something, Mm -hmm. pseudo christian but i don't know what it is and so you know that might be a a good audience as well that they want to rebuild something that still is tied to uh jesus in some way shape or form and then i think the other thing is um i know um people who um have let's say deconstructed and gone on and become agnostic or an atheist i mean they're gonna they're gonna appreciate the book as well because we have a lot of things in common. I mean, mm-hmm. I mean, I was just at a conference that Choir Publishing, my publisher, put on, and there were atheists, agnostics, humanists, progressive Christians, and you know, people who just wanted to follow the love ethic of Christ, all at the same conference, all speaking and interacting with each other. And I'm telling you, 95%, almost 95%, we agreed on. Now the parts that we didn't agree on were, 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 were kind of big things, but they really weren't that big, you know, you know, God versus no God. When you're, when you still agree, um, you know, uh, we need to root out toxic faith and, and have some kind of a uh, restorative way of viewing the world. Then that's, that's what, that's wonderful. You know, you've got a, a lot in common. So I'm saying is that, that um, even people who might consider themselves post-Christian, can still get a lot out of this because I'm talking about a way when I get to the second half of the book and I talk about the path of peace, I'm talking about a way of life, not talking about a religion. I mean, the the most interesting fact 
historical fact that I've discovered is that Christianity, the way we know it, the way we think of it, did not exist for 200 years after Jesus. And now you might, you know, people go, what, scratch their heads. Yeah, but I read the Bible. It's in, because you're misinterpreting the word church. Mm -hmm. You're misinterpreting the word hell. You're mistranslating the word hell. You're mis, you're mis, you're not getting it because you don't understand the historical and cultural context of first century Judaism uh, and the Roman Empire, etc. cetera. Um, then you're going to misread so many things. But, you know, when you understand all those things, you realize that for 200 years, and, and I, I didn't just get that myself. That's from a, uh, a historian named Hal Talzig, who wrote a book called Christianity After uh, Jesus, uh, uh, Jesus Before Christianity, or something like that. And, um, you know, that that the, the elements of what we think of as Christianity did not exist. There was no professional clergy. There was no institution of church. There was no... Uh, people weren't, you know, evangelizing and having altar calls and, you know, Billy Graham crusades and and uh, all these things. People were just building egalitarian communities um, and trying to live by Jesus' love ethic. And they didn't have creeds. They didn't have statement of statements of faith, etc. So it was just a different it's a different way of looking at it. And that's one of the things I hope people bring home from re reading my book. No, yeah, I, I, that's what I got out of it. I mean, as, as a person that's, well, I feel like I'm constantly deconstructing and reconstructing. I feel like, I feel like there's constantly a yeah, right, right. That, that we're always refining through. But I, right. I, I love being able to hear other people's stories and, and see like mine in theirs. And, and especially when people probably put it a lot more succinctly. I'm like, ah, gosh, yeah. Why didn't I get that back then? Right, you know, those kind of right. things because I'm stumbling in the dark. No, no, I know like, exactly yeah. what you're talking about. I mean, some of these things I've deconstructed took me years, like penal substitutionary atonement has taken me 10 years to deconstruct because it's so programmed in us to think a, a different way. It just, it, 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 I don't know. It's, it's like you're brainwashing. You just can't get your brain to start thinking of it. And, but once you get, once you realize there's another paradigm, it mm -hmm. makes so much more sense. <laughs> mm -hmm. and, it, and that paradigm fits and it sits well with, I feel like it, it, it sits well with the soul at peace. Yeah. Right. Then the other yeah. one where it's constantly, we're not enough. Right. Yeah. Right. Yeah. Now after, after all the, all that we've, we've talked about in this, I was going to ask you if you have an optimistic or pessimistic view of where American Christianity is heading. So I won't do that. I won't do that because uh, that one's too easy. Um, so, but reading um, in the second half and, and how you're kind of just trying to open our eyes to new ways to be and to exist and to walk out like that, the loving teachings of Jesus. Um, what, what is giving you hope? What, what is, what, what is giving you an a outlook that things can change and can get better? Well, I think I think um, several things. First of all, um, I'm not looking for Christianity to get better. I'm I'm looking for um, us to redefine what Jesus was t talking about. <laughs> mm. Right. So you know, so that's a totally different paradigm. And so I don't really have hope for American Christianity. 
Um, I'm, although every once in a while, there's a shining light. Rick Warren just came out and said that, oh, I, 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 I've screwed up for 50 years. I've totally screwed up. And I just discovered that women can be pastors when you dissect those verses in the New Testament. Have you heard about that? Yes, yeah. yes. So, I mean, so, and the Southern Baptists is, right. are like, hold my beer. Right. We're just going to double down. Yeah, on the this. Southern Baptists double down, kick, yeah. kick him and mm-hmm. his church out. But I mean, mm-hmm. I, I, it was remarkable just to, to hear what he said. And he apologized to women. And, and you're scratching your head and going, Rick, Rick, you you know, it, it's great that you're you're doing that. But I mean, it's 50 years is a long time. Why is that? That's the question. And 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 if you if 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 people aren't uh, taught to dig deeper, then they just go on and on believing these things that aren't true. And so um, now I forgot where I'm going with this with your question. <laughs> it was your optimism in the optimism. world today. So, oh, yeah. so yeah, right. So every once <laughs> oh. in a while, something like that happens. Yeah. You know, Rick Warren's probably not going to turn around tomorrow and and totally deconstruct everything, but maybe he'll read my book. I don't know. Who knows? Rick, if you're listening, sure. that's true. <laughs> yeah. he's a regular listener. Yeah, right. <laughs> What's up, Rick? Yeah, uh, right. <laughs> <laughs> well, I tagged him today in an Instagram post. You never know. So, um, uh, but anyways, my optimism is those stories I was telling you about. You know, mm-hmm. see, God, God in my mind, I still believe in God. I still believe in a loving God. He's he works outside these walls that we put up he's he doesn't care he's working through muslims jewish people hindus buddhists agnostics atheists you know to me he's every he's in the world everywhere so that's really you know when we get a movement of people who are who are um i don't know have the same values and moving forward on some restorative themes and doesn't matter what religion they are we can see a lot done to me that's that gives me hope and, um, you know, more people kind of um, uh, catch on to some of the things that, you know, we've been holding on for uh, centuries, like, you know, the doc- and just the belief that there is such a thing as a, a just war and that, you know, we can go. It's OK for America to be involved in, in, in wars, the Iraq, Afghanistan, uh, Ukraine or whatever it is. Um, I think if there are lights that in that area that are calling for a different way to look at that and are exposing, mm-hmm. you know, like we have a really shiny, we, when we look at our American wars and I go into this in the book, we kind of look at mm-hmm. the shiny parts or we don't look at the rusty parts. And so if, when you look at the rusty parts, you're going, Oh, wow. I, I, I maybe I should rethink this, you know? <laughs> so, uh, but I, there are more and more people that are, are, are doing that. Uh, I cite many examples in the book, mm-hmm. not just Christians, but non-Christians are saying, Hey, you know what? This love ethic of Jesus actually makes sense in this case here, you know? So, um, that gives me hope. And, um, you know, it's like, uh, I think one of the things that, um, you have to do too, is you have to step back and look at long periods of time. And if you look at short mm-hmm. periods of time, you can get depressed it seemed like, you know, after Obama was president, all of a sudden <laughs> Trump comes in and there's this kind of like this real divisive era in our in our country that's become more, you know, more divisive. It seems like when I was when I first started as a conservative Christian, we would never do some of the stuff they're doing now. I mean, it's just crazy, yeah. you know, so it's gotten mm-hmm. worse in some ways. But I think there's always a backlash to everything. So my hope is that, yeah. you know people will see 
that how that trajectory was bad and they'll come they'll come back and maybe build something that's even that's better so yeah that, that this is I, I totally agree with you on that because i feel like the, the one compliment i will ever give anything surrounding the orange messiah uh around trump is just simply that he was a great tool at exposing the bullshit yeah right right and in, in a lot of stuff right. he in, showed yeah. He showed the truth. Now colors. it was awful going through it. <laughs> yeah, right. It was awful going through it, but he yeah. actually showed the true colors of many Christians. Yeah. Right. And and the Christians, you know, basically, you know, they, there was a symbiotic relationship going on when Trump used the Christians and the Christians used Trump. And now, if we look back on it honestly, we can see how that was happening and go, oh wow. And if you're a Christian, I would hope you would think. And this is, I mean, this this does happen. People do come come around and go, yeah, this is. This is wrong. Uh, some people have noticed it all along, and other people finally catch on, and and maybe uh, there will be some change. In a, in a you know, and even though we took uh, a step backwards, maybe there'll be two steps forward. You know. Yeah. Well, absolutely. So, Michael, the book is coming out. Correct me, July fourth. July fourth, twenty twenty three, Independence Day. Yeah. If you want to be free from uh, bad faith. <laughs> <laughs> do it on july 4th buy the book on amazon and uh buy the book on amazon yeah, yeah. and and if people are wanting to find you to follow you to listen to your podcast how do they effectively stalk you uh the easiest thing to do is to go on my website i have a spiritual brew pub i'm the bartender there so <laughs> you just go to spiritualbrewpub.com and you'll find uh information about the book You'll find my blog, which is on Pathios too. You can find me on Pathios, and um, the the blog will have a lot of all the updates on what's going on. I also have a religious deconstruction workshop for folks that's on demand, and there's a support group that's based in Seattle. But anyone from all over the country is is welcome to join because we do Zoom meetings as well. So there's a lot of stuff going on at the spirit at, at spiritualbrewpub.com. Oh, and I have a podcast too. Oh, what's your podcast? <laughs> it's the Spiritual Brew Pub. There we go. <laughs> <laughs> Forgot about that. Yeah. Well, yeah. So the book is Breaking Bad Faith by Michael Camp. It will be out soon, especially when the show is coming out. So you should go and pick it up because I, I do believe this is something that will start great conversations uh, in your head <laughs> about what you're doing. And it'll also start great conversations uh, in your community as you begin to walk out some of these new ways forward and the loving ways of Jesus. So, Michael, thank you very much uh, for being on today. Hey, it was a pleasure. Much thanks to Michael for being on the show today. And before I send you off, just a reminder to share the show, subscribe, and give Snarky Faith a review over on Apple Podcasts. It helps to get the word out to other listeners. And, and, and if you want to check out more snarky writings, look for Snarky Faith over on patheos.com. Thank you for being a part of this show week after week. I appreciate you all. And as I release you into this wild, wide world, I send you out with the holiest amount of grace and peace and snark. I'm out of here. Peace.
This Choircast podcast episode is brought to you by the Messy Spirituality Podcast. Hey, this is Jason Elam. Join Lola Robbins, Kyle Butler, and me for the Messy Spirituality Podcast, where we try to empower your spiritual evolution with honest conversation about how to be a better human, taking a critical look at toxic Bible stories, and look behind the headlines for growth opportunities underlying current events. Hey, it's a bisexual hairstylist who escaped a cult, a black mystic, and a recovering Southern Baptist preacher. What could possibly go wrong? Check out the Messy Spirituality Podcast wherever you listen to podcasts.